podcast with Dan and Scott. Hottest golf podcast, whether you like it or not. Fresh from back in the day when that's a put at the park. 7 a.m. PM special where they played after dark. From the birds to the focus to the losses and the win. Welcome podcast, patron to the show, lead the pen. Get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hottest golf podcast and the swing ain't lying. Welcome back, podcast patrons. Another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan. We have a, a just an extremely special guest today, a man who literally is living in the future right now. He is a former Olympic swimmer, a former rugby athlete, and now an avid golfer. Uh, straight out of New Zealand, Mr. Willie Benson. Will, what's the good word? Yeah, well, I guess we are from the future here, being Tuesday, um, Monday back there. Um, yeah, things are good, man. Things are good. Um, so, look, so first off, right now, I mean, you know, I've got so many questions that talk to you a little bit off air about New Zealand and stuff. You're you're kind of in the middle of your summer, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, stinking, wow, not great here today, but yeah, it's been stinking hot the last couple of weeks, and yeah, we've kind of just all had our summer holidays and breaks, and back into work and and real life. So I'm I'm sitting here with just about two feet of snow on the <laughs> ground um, in in PA. Uh, g- give me a little, if you could, kind of ge- geographic lesson on New Zealand. I know there's kind of like the two islands. Um, yeah, I guess most of us Americans are going to know it from you know, Lord of the Rings, um, yep. or, or bringing over Django Fett, you know, in, in the Star Wars, uh, trilogies, you know, with, um, <laughs> with some Maori actors, but, uh, for those of us that have never gone or quite honestly might never get there, give us a little bit of, you know, geographic lesson of New Zealand. Um, so obviously got, well, we've got two main islands. We keep it pretty simple. North Island, South Island. Don't overcomplicate things. Um, generally the North Island's a little bit more populated. Uh, the whole population in New Zealand's about 5 million or something like that. Um, most of them tend to live in Auckland and the rest of us are just spread around the country. Um, so I guess it's, it is kind of like a little bit of Lord of the Rings cross with the guys from Flight of the Concords. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, what you see on those movies and, and the promo posters and everything is, is pretty much what you get, um, you know, and, and it's pretty spectacular in terms of scenery. And that obviously, you know, we're a golf cult podcast. It means um, pretty spectacular golf courses around the country too. Um, and uh Kind of everywhere, which is awesome. There's there's such varied topography in the country. I mean, sharp mountain peaks, you, the Southern Alps. Um, you know, I guess when New Zealand was created, that whole kind of tectonic uplift gave you guys such uh, such peaks and valleys as you go through. Um, is there still undeveloped areas of New Zealand that you know is kind of like straight countryside? Yeah, there's like there's a lot of mountain ranges and bits and pieces down the South Island. Well, actually, there's a lot of bush area all around the country, but um, you know we're pretty pretty developed here. Like we are from the future, um, but there's definitely some pretty remote areas. You know, um, if you're into into hiking and and hunting and that sort of stuff, you can really get out, get a ma- 
out amongst it. Now you'd mentioned the golf and, and we're going to get there, but I guess we, we kind of need to kind of go through your um, athletic journey and, and how you got to golf. So yeah, you, you represented New Zealand in the uh, 2008 Beijing Olympics, which, you know, yeah. for, for people that don't know, I mean, so I coach swimming at a pretty high competitive state level, you know, for high school kids, which is nothing compared to, you know, some of the numbers and times that, that you were blowing out there uh how early did you get started in swimming um so i started when i was oh, 11 nearly 12 um and then kind of just loved the group of guys that i was around loved my coach and and generally kind of ramped it up through my high school years um at the same time playing rugby um and i was kind of okay won a few new zealand titles which i don't know you know it's New Zealand title is a little bit easier to come by than American, obviously, um, which meant I was okay and uh, finished high school and had to work out whether I want to have a crack at swimming or or go and you know study and and kind of put something on the back burner. But I decided I want to have a crack at um, trying to make a New Zealand team, and that kind of meant you know committing to a pretty high level in terms of the workload that you take on. It's um, you know I think other sports maybe think they train hard but when you hear of kind of the level of commitment that swimmers and rowers and the likes of those sports that aren't probably the most glamorous sports put in it kind of probably puts some other sports workloads um in their place a little bit yeah i mean i I, i'm assuming your yardages were were kind of through the roof and people that don't swim or or maybe even people that kind of recreationally swim and, you know, think of it being difficult to swim from one length of the pool to the other, like, you know, swimming to 25 and, and that kills them. When you were training, first off, how old were you when you started really kind of ramping up your Olympic training? Are we 19, um, 20, 21? Probably 18 when I left, left school. Um, at that point I was, so I'm not the tallest dude, like I'm um, six foot tall. Um, and I was pretty muscular, so I had a lot of work to do in terms of flexibility. So I was doing 10 pool sessions a week, kind of up to two hours a session. I was, uh, in the yoga studio. This is before online yoga was a thing. So it was kind of like me hanging out with a bunch of 50 to 80 year old. Um, and then I was in the gym two to three times a week too. So you're kind of doing 15, 16 training sessions a week. And what are you doing yardage wise when you're in the pool at, at that time? Uh, I was a sprinter. So I was like focused on the fifties and hundreds. My, oh, hang on, I have to, we deal in meters here and that's part of being in the future. One day you'll, <laughs> you know, well, that, I mean, that, look, that's, that's the rest of the world, right? It's like 95% of the world aside from the U.S. Yeah, aside from everyone that listens to your podcast. Um, <laughs> maybe Sprinter, we probably averaged 5K, so it's probably maybe five and a half, five and a half, six thousand yards a session type thing. Okay. Um, depending on the type of season, time of season it might be, you might do a little bit less when you're trying to swim fast and a little bit more when you're trying to build the conditioning up and then so what was your when you were peaking for the olympics in 08 in beijing when did your taper start uh you know as opposed to your actual meet date there for the relay uh 
I had I, I was living life there, man. I had like an I had a three, I think it was a three and a half week taper. So I was I was living the dream because we we're on like a staging camp in Japan, and you know the middle distance swimmers are still smashing out some pretty hard laps, and I was you know jump in, float a few laps out, do the odd bit of pace work and speed work, and then jump out and watch the other guys slogging out their laps while we kind of swanned around, did a bit of stretching and lived it up. Um, I think we went to, from memory, we went to the village before the swimming started, so I kind of had the last week of my taper um, when we were amongst that Olympic environment. So you're basically, you're bouncing off the walls at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, and then it's like, it's massive overload because you go into this place like it has every kind of food you can ever dream of it has like every famous athlete you've kind of looked up to in your life you know you see lebron james and that walking around your village um and then obviously uh, olympic opening ceremonies there's just so many opportunities to waste all your hard years of hard training and, and preparation before you actually get to your race now, you, you know, it's funny because you hear like all these behind the scene documentaries and like the Olympic Village is is filled with just debauchery. And there's so many people that should have excelled at the Olympic Games, but didn't because they just let their kind of human nature take over. Did you get to did you see any of that going on while you were there? A hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, <laughs> swimming's pretty lucky in terms of we go first, right? So we're like the day after the opening ceremony, swimming's into it. So. You know, we don't have that much of an opportunity to blow all our preparation. Those guys that compete in the, you know, second and third week of the Olympic Games, like, no wonder they find it tough to still be on on track, especially once, you know, people like us swimmers kind of finish our thing and then we start letting loose for a couple of weeks. Um, it's probably pretty easy to be led astray. Now, when, when you're there, I'm assuming you get the full run of the place all the way till the end of the Olympics, yeah. which, you know, I mean, which ends up being from like the, open, it's like 18 days, right? From the opening ceremony yeah. all the way. I think we got there maybe like the best part of a week beforehand or four or five days beforehand. And then we actually left. Well, I think New Zealand was about the last, last team in the whole village to leave. Like we really got our money's worth. So we... <laughs> <laughs> Out there. We had like a the night after the closing ceremony, we had like an Olympic team, um, New Zealand Olympic team kind of party farewell thing. So we we um, we really made the most of it. That's uh, that, I mean that's phenomenal. I mean, and you should right because for a lot of people, it's a it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you you always like dream of going back there and whatnot. But you know, for me, it was once once in a lifetime, and for I don't know what percentage of a of our team it is and you know you you treat it that way and and live it up and we geez we definitely did that she was a pretty rough couple of weeks once the swimming finished <laughs> how how quickly were you back in the pool after that um what do i i think i probably had by the time we got home maybe three or four weeks off and then i was i was i was back into it that which okay. was probably the longest longest break i'd had and Oh, I don't know, seven or eight years at that point. You never yeah, so really I mean, have two well or three weeks off. But yeah. yeah. Now, you know, one of the things, too, that we hear so much of in the States, 
when you are an Olympic athlete, but not in, you know, a, a sport where you're making a, a ton of money doing it. So basically you're not, you know, a professional ba- uh, basketball player. Um, you know, you're not one of those top 10 people that the news networks are promoting. For the most part, it's regular everyday people that, you know, are taking up uh, money from friends and people are donating and from companies and stuff like that. How how does that run in New Zealand? Is it state funded? Um, you know, are you still yeah. work? Do you have to rely on donations? How does that work? Yeah, definitely. You know, you're not you're not going to make a career out of swimming in New Zealand. Um, I was pretty lucky in the era that I was in that we had um, some people driving some pretty good funding and support. So I was lucky that my university fees got paid for. Um, through swimming and through the government effectively um, in terms of scholarships. Um, and then you either rely on, you know, part-time work or, or, or parent support. I was very lucky with the, the, the place my parents were in in terms of being able to support me um, through through that kind of goal-chasing part of my life. Um, and, and it kind of allowed me to focus on what I need to focus on in the water and and and, and also in my schooling um, to make sure I was ticking the right boxes and um, not wasting the opportunities that I've been given by the people around you. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome to have to have that much support behind you. Yeah, and you, yeah, you, you do it tough, you know, like once you, I think, I don't know how it is in America, but I think a lot of sports here, once you're an up and comer, once you're kind of 15, 16, that's when you get actually a lot of support and people reaching out for you. But once you're um, kind of leave high school and, and you can be really close to getting to international level, but you kind of end up out on your own for a while then you've just got to slog your way and, and back yourself and bet on yourself to, to make it. Yeah, here, you know, here in the States, obviously everything's geared towards kind of the the major four North American sports, your baseball, hockey, basketball, and football. Yeah. And then if you're in kind of a specialty sport, which, you know, I would consider swimming a specialty sport, um, you know, there there are some elite level clubs and stuff. But again, everything here is geared towards like that division one collegiate level, you know, and then through there, that's where people are kind of, pulled out oh you know you swam a you know a 19.5 at at nationals okay let's let's invite him to the olympic training center so it's it seems like in new zealand it's and, and i'm assuming it's a much more close-knit community just because the size of it as well yeah our swimming pool like our our pool of athletes is, is so small so so small compared to what you guys deal with and again that's why um, you know, the, the kids that kind of make it past high school and stick at it are even rarer here because, you know, you've got to f- kind of fend for yourself. And at some point you've got to go, shit, I actually need to pay my bills and, you know, <laughs> yeah, get on life. <laughs> Can't be like banging laps out every morning and night for the rest of my life. So I'd be remiss to ask if, uh, you know, because a lot of people listening will be like, dude, ask him, ask him if he, uh, you know, who he met at the Olympics. Ask him, you know, if he got any autographs or stuff like that. People love that stuff here. You know what I mean? Was was there anybody or any encounters that you had that just made you take a step back and just be like, damn, I'm at the Olympics right now and I just met so-and-so? 
Yeah, well, that that probably started early on for me because I did the um, I made sure you know my me and my three mates that were on my relay team we made sure that we did the opening ceremony because we wanted to feel that energy going into our race on day two. Um, and you do that little march around, um, and then we ended up in the in the in the center of the stadium with all the other countries. And um, Germany was right next to us, so we got I got to meet Dirk Nowitzki, which at that time, you know, I was um, pretty big into basketball, which I, was, I still follow a fair bit. Um, so I got to meet him. I also got you know at a at a speedo function, got to meet Chris Paul and and had a photo with LeBron James and that sort of stuff. So those things for me were just like mind blowing. And I, I look back at those photos. I actually sent one to my old man the other day, and I look like I'm about 12 years old, even though I was <laughs> 21. But um, you know that stuff's still pretty awesome to look back on. And you know that's that's where the Olympics kind of brings you know just us battlers of athletes together with those like biggest of big names. You know those tennis guys and and basketballers and all that that are rolling around. So. Those are the ones probably that I was most stoked about. And obviously seeing Usain Bolt, you know, rolling around the food hall, eating chicken nuggets and that sort of stuff is pretty cool too. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be surreal. It's all these people that you've seen for years on TV at the Olympics. And then you're literally, you know, you are are their peer for those two and a half weeks. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, yeah, it, it does turn into a bit of a sideshow walking around the village because it's literally... Uh, the tallest people you've ever seen in your life, male and female with the basketballers and volleyballers and stuff. And then the shortest in terms of the gymnasts and the <laughs> widest in terms of the weightlifters. And it, it almost turns into a little bit of a game when you're walking around is obviously trying to pick out the the famous guys that you know, but also trying to guess what sports these weird shaped people play. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I completely understand. I, I teach advanced strength and conditioning and, so one of the biggest things that that we do with my students is helping them realize that, look, there are some body types that are better off for certain sports, you know, and, yeah. and try to gear them towards things that, that they would be more successful in based upon, you know, their predisposed genetics. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're six foot eight, you're not going to be a gymnast, are you? So. <laughs> exactly. Um, so look, you're, I mean, you're, you, you mentioned before you you said you're only six foot tall, um, you know, which is not short by any means, but you are, you are not the typical swimmer for Z, you know, physique, you're a put together dude. I mean, who looks like, you know, you could be a, a, a bodybuilder. Um, you make this transition then into rugby, which you yeah. go from something where you're swimming nonstop in the water to something where you're running nonstop on land. So I'm going to freely admit I am a complete neophyte. I know of the All Blacks of New yeah. Zealand. I think, you know, most people that are into sport know that. But help me kind of understand the level that you played at compared to to the national team. Um so I I didn't make it to any sort of professional level um in New Zealand. So I played um you know, everyone, every boy pretty much grows up playing rugby to, to some age. Um, I did it all through high school and then it went on hiatus while I swam, swam a lot of laps um, and then got back to it. I play um, what's called senior men's club rugby in New Zealand. Um, it's the level below professional um, in New Zealand, which obviously with it being the sport it is in New Zealand would probably 
probably mean that it's uh would be a low level professional or mid level professional in other countries depending on their rugby level um because I, just the general state of rugby's pretty high here because everyone grows up doing it it's a bit like you know baseball and football in america like um you know their kind of level below professional of, of football in america is going to be the same like the highest of high levels that's anywhere else around the world isn't it so um so i didn't didn't get to professional but i played over 100 games of um senior men's club rugby um and and my body's still hanging in there probably for another season and then uh might be just full-time golf after that which i think my body's probably looking forward to because i'm you know I, was, I need to do these conversions to pounds i was probably when i raced at the olympics i was maybe just over 180 pounds um and gradually you put on a bit of weight put on a bit of weight and i'm probably probably holding about two 220 220 pounds at the moment so just under 100 kilos um which for the rugby and especially the the fords which uh, talking to americans probably haven't got any idea but i'm actually one of the smaller ones at like 220 pounds like there's some giant giant boys now with rugby there i'm assuming that there are youth leagues like we would have youth soccer here and and little league baseball is that correct yeah so when you when you get to you know at, at those levels is it full contact like you see at the national level or do they kind of you know yeah well they've like when i was growing up it was like full contact from like age of pretty much five um and then it's <laughs> yeah it was ruthless man you know, the only thing is you didn't get to wear um rugby boots or, or cleats and until you're about 10 years old which wasn't great on frosty um saturday mornings when you have numb feet running around but um, they've changed it slightly now that, you know, there's like ripper rugby where you rip tags instead of like the full collisions. Um, I think that goes up until you're about uh, nine or 10 years old. And then it's a little bit smaller field and kind of the contact doesn't really grow until you're just about in high school. Um, and then once you start high school, then you're, you're into it. Um, but it's, they have a lot of weight restricted grades, which kind of helps keep um smaller kids in it and late developers in it um because i was a little fellow when i started high school but you know like what we had a guy roll up to our senior training um last week and and you know i said man you're a big unit he's this big tongan kid and he's like first year out of high school i said how much <laughs> did you weigh? He said, 148 kilos which is i think I, I think it's like 320 pounds or something like that and this is his first year out of high school and he is a beast and he can run so you know, like this, if you, if you have to play against those kids at at, at high school and you're a little kind of weedy, skinny guy, you know, you can probably get yourself hammered pretty quick. One of the uh, one of the biggest drawbacks with football in the states is the fact that with all the equipment that kids and you know high schoolers and collegiate players and even in the pros and you saw it in the super bowl the other day uh well for you two days ago um is that they kind of have this feeling of almost being invincible with with having this equipment and that leads them to 
you know, basically, as I've been told by some friends that have played in the NFL, uh, to use their bodies as missiles, as spears, because they've got a helmet, they've got shoulder pads. Um, it's, it's always funny to me to see how violent rugby looks, but then when you compare the injuries in rugby to football, you know, yes, there are injuries in rugby, but it's almost non-existent when, it, when you compare it to football. Yeah, well, it's, I think especially concussion-wise, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, your your head's in this, like, funny helmet that just rattles around, especially launching yourself at another person, also wearing some bloody hard protective gear. Whereas I think because we don't wear protective gear other than maybe a little bit of a, you know, headgear, which is mainly to stop cuts, if anything, um you kind of have to learn how to do things in a way that are like safe. And you can like, you know, if you need to tackle a big guy, you know how to chop that tree down. You know how to kind of take them down while keeping yourself kind of safe. Yeah. And and leading with your head is not the way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like you get taught when you're like, man, I remember learning how to tackle when I was like six, seven years old and, and the same fundamentals of, that you learn to tackle there are what you still use when I'm, you know, I'm 33 now, like that's still the same stuff that I do now. Um, so it's kind of like ingrained with how to, how to tackle and how to kind of keep yourself out of harm's way while still being like, you know, you, there's some pretty big contacts in rugby, but, but I think cause the techniques kind of so ingrained, you, you kind of, I don't know, you can't really have safe contacts, do you? But they're less damaging contacts. Yeah, the ones that that are not going to put you know your life or limb in jeopardy. Yeah, and you're always you're always going to have accidents. But I, I, you know, f- watching football, like the amount of people you see um, that are clearly concussed or or getting carted off on stretches is just like exponentially higher than than rugby. Exponentially. Yeah, very big problem here in the states. Uh, listen, I wanted to ask you: uh, Do all this this might be like the most asinine question. I might be a, considered a moron to New Zealanders, but do all New Zealand rugby teams perform the haka beforehand, or is that just the All Blacks? No, well, the, the main one is the All Blacks, right? Because they're our national team. Um, but so it's funny. Like generally, the ones that will perform it, uh, like your high school. Um, senior teams. So your last year at high school, your school has a haka um, that you'll perform pre-game against um, the opposition's haka. So you'll be rivaling um, pre-game, um, which is a bit different to the All Blacks because no one ever faces the All Blacks haka with a haka. Um, so you're kind of like going face-to-face against these other guys um, pre-game, which is, you know, when you're a 17, 18-year-old boy, um with a fair bit of testosterone floating around and, you know, it gets, gets things going pretty, pretty well before the game. Um, and then it's, it's kind of, um, after that high school point, it's, it's, it's other than the, the Māori All Blacks, um, and the All Blacks, it's, it's probably not too much of a thing in rugby really. Um, but yeah, they're obviously what the world sees in terms of the hooker. Very cool. Um, all right. So you said you, you, you have, what you think maybe a year left of, of kind of the, the, the rugby level that you're playing at. 
Well, yeah, you, I mean, we play Saturdays and you get up Sundays and you're thinking like, I'd, I'd love to play golf today, but you kind of can't turn your head or you're walking like you're about 180 years old. Like, <laughs> and that's kind of like 20 weeks of the year. That's like 20 rounds of golf that you miss out on. Um, that's, a, that's a lot. I mean, for some people, that's more than they play, you know, all yeah. year. So, so listen, Pretty so weird. when... Yeah, that it doesn't snow where I am, so we we can play in winter. You just got to deal with a bit of soft, soft course. Yeah, and that's and that's look for any golfer. They know that that's more than fine. Yeah, exactly. So when when did golf kind of enter your perspective? Like when did it appear on your landscape? Um, I think it was maybe the year after the Olympics, actually. Um, so about 2009, 2010. Um, so I had a couple of buddies that, um, I swam with up in Auckland and, and we just wanted something else to kind of keep us ticking over and, and help keep the swimming fresh and, and give us a new challenge. Um, so we like joined this club down the road that was just like, it was like a goat track. It was so hilly and every shot was from like a terrible lie or angle, which is, like when you're useless and you're starting off as an absolute nightmare, we put so many balls over the road and into the car park and that sort of stuff. But um, in, in hindsight now, it was an awesome place to learn because it forced you to learn kind of all the challenges of golf, really. And those, look, I mean, I, I grew up on one of those courses. I currently have one five minutes from my house that I play yeah. when there's not snow on the ground. You know, throughout the winter, it's funny because we call it the goat track. Um, you know, you go out there and, and for 10 bucks, you can walk as much as you want. There's literally no dress code. I can show up in a t-shirt and gym shorts and, and, and I love it. But I mean, some of those courses, even though they're not perfectly manicured, I, I feel like for, you know, real golfers, places like that, just like, they just fit my soul. You know I mean? You have such, some of the best memories golfing on courses like that. Yeah, well, I, I think especially when you're starting off, like uh, maybe maybe as you get more into golf and and want to play those fancier courses around, and and this was not a not a rough course or anything, but it was, it was just a bit different because you know not that many people are keen to set their calves on fire walking around a golf course. Um, it was it was great for us as young fellas learning. You know, like what were we twenty twenty two twenty three years old like. I'm sure all the old boys at the course probably thought we're idiots and hated playing with us, especially with <laughs> how we sprayed the ball, man. Like it was wild. Um, but it was awesome. It was awesome. And, it, and the, that, that first year of golf, like I got so addicted so fast. Like I would have, I would have at least played 50 rounds that first year of golf. Like I was just out there every week, probably, probably well more to be honest. So I'm looking at a map of North Island, South Island, uh, and yeah. it's showing me a bunch of courses. So I'm, I'm looking at 397 golf courses in New Zealand. Um, this map literally looks like no matter where you live on either of those islands, you can't be more than 20 minutes away from a course. Are, are they that plentiful out there? Yeah, pretty much, unless you live in the absolute sticks. And even in the sticks, there's like these little rural courses that you can go pay for five, ten bucks that are kind of, some of them are like super rural and they'll have like, they'll have the greens fenced off by electric fences and then the, the fairways just cut down by sheep. Oh, um, really? Right in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, like everywhere, like I live in um, 
uh, Napier on the east coast of Hawke's Bay and the, like our population of our town's, I don't know, 75,000, something like that. And there's like five courses within half an hour drive for me. And one of those, one of those is Cape Kidnappers. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah. You know. I, so I'm I'm seeing Hastings and Cape Kidnappers up there. Hastings, I don't know. Everybody knows Cape Kidnappers with the fairways yeah. that play out on the peninsula there. Um, you know that to Americans, uh, Europeans, that is a complete other world bucket list course. Is that a course that you've played before? Yeah, I think I've played it maybe five times now. So like. We get like a little bit cheaper rates than uh, the internationals. And um, this is actually one of the benefits of COVID. They wanted to get people in there because they couldn't rely on international tourists. So you could buy like eight rounds for um, 800 bucks New Zealand, which is, I don't know, like 80 bucks around American or something like that. So like me and my mates bought a bunch and we've been out there you know, hacking around and hitting balls off cliffs by accident and that sort of <laughs> stuff. Like it's unreal. It's 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 like a it's like a oh it's like a twenty minute driveway that they've got there and it just it's like mind boggling that this place is where you live like that they've built this here on top of this cliff. Um, it's yeah, there's not too many when you're from New Zealand. There's not too many places that kind of boggle the mind or take your breath away. But that's definitely one for me. Like um, even you know being here my whole life. Now that's that's right in Hawks Bay, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's. Uh, Maybe uh, 25 minutes drive to the driveway for me and then another 20 minutes. So, you know, 45 minutes there having a hit. Now, what's what's the golfing culture like there? Do people like to walk? Is it more cart-oriented? Because here in the U.S., unfortunately, it's very heavy cart-oriented. The courses make a ton of money on the cart rentals. You know, I mean, I love yeah. walking a golf course, that's but... The, other than other than those really big like resort like Cape Kidnappers and um, Kinlock and 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 Jack's Point and those like really big courses with a lot of kind of gaps in between their their holes. Everyone everyone walks like all our weekend golfers just walk and and weekday golfers just walk. Like each each club like Hastings and Napier and and that where I am like I don't know how many cuts they have. Maybe they might only have five or six cuts at the whole club. You know. Um, so there's never going to be more than that out on the course unless the old boys own their own cart. So generally, I would say 95% of people would would walk either with a carry bag or a push trundler. And I th I think that speaks a, a lot to you know the culture of New Zealand as a pair. You know, compared to the culture of the U.S. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Here in the U.S., we have I think the entire world would look at us as a more of a lazy culture. You know. Um, New Zealand, to me, at least from the outside looking in, just always kind of looks like everyone's always outside doing stuff. Um, you know, whether you mentioned before, like hiking or running or or walking outside, just taking you know, taking into perspective the the climate and the topography that you live in. You know, just being outside, being at one with nature there. Yeah, or like even so. If I can get time on a Tuesday, I'm speaking to you on a Tuesday now. Like, if I can get time, I normally play on a Tuesday morning group with a bunch of old boys. And there's like, you know, between 12 and 20 of them show up and chuck their cards in, and you just pull random ones out and play together. And like, those guys are between 
60 and, and 85 years old and there's maybe two out of that group that use a cart all the time and that's because they're just not physically able everyone else walks the whole 18 yeah that's that's phenomenal um, i mean i'm in love with i that. think that's you just i think you just you're engaged in your in your gushing and your in your experience a bit more when you're walking it you just appreciate it I don't know. It's just when you're in a cart, you just kind of pop up at your ball, and it's like you've kind of missed some of the key bit of the the experience of golf. Well, I, yeah, and I think you know the biggest problem for me riding in a cart is I don't want to say I'm an architecture lover, or an architecture freak, but I truly appreciate how a course is laid out and and just being out there, and you breeze through so much of the course when you're just driving as fast as you can from ball to ball to ball. And then you're, you know, and then you just reconvene when you're up on the green together. There's no community when you play together in a cart. Yeah, especially if, like, I had a pretty big ball, which means I can hit a pretty wayward ball. And if I'm in a cart, I would like literally never see the guys that I play with. Which, you know, at least I can walk with them down the fairway and then veer off and go find my ball. Um, so it'd, it'd be a pretty uh, solitary experience for me if I if I went cart all the time, like. It would be a bit shit, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, and that's the thing too. One of the problems we have, I don't know how you guys have a slow play problem in golf in New Zealand. Uh, certain courses, certain times of the week. Okay, uh, so generally here, like, here's what's an average take here. Oh god, I mean, okay. So to give you an idea, so I grew up on Long Island, which is east of new york city east of manhattan very populated i yep. grew up playing six six and a half hour rounds that's not an exaggeration what, what? the the my, my oh. buddy my buddy scott who i do the podcast with people ask us all the time they say how did you continue with golf like how how did you grow to love golf if it took you six six and a half hours but but that's how enamored we were with it that we didn't mind being out there Nowadays, if I play, if it takes me more than four hours, like I, I, I get physically angry. Yeah, same, same. It's too much time to think about the impending golf shot. It's too much time to get in our own heads if you're standing waiting for people to dawdle their way down the course. Like, oh, you know, those, those old boys that I play with, if they get around in like three hours 20, three hours 30, and these are like old dudes. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I think these new new rules, like, um, kind of, especially helping the guys that have been in the game a long time, just get to your ball, hit your ball, like that's definitely helped it here. But there's still the old course that's pretty slow. But uh, six and a half hours, oh my! Yeah, we, it used to be uh, no joke, Willie. It used to be fifteen minute waits on tee boxes, you know, because guys are lining up putts like they've got thousands of dollars on it. Like, I don't know about you. I'm a semi-decent golfer, but I am in no means good enough to look at a putt from four angles, you know, or or to take five minutes before a shot to dissect the wind. No, I go up, I hit it, I have fun with my friends that are out there, I find it, I hit it again, I get to the green, I try to make a putt. Yeah, like, um, I don't know. I've got down to playing off a five, but I, you know, if I miss a putt, I miss a putt. I wasn't good enough to make it. Like I'm not going <laughs> to survey it from every angle. Like there's nothing riding on this, even if it's a couple of bucks with your mates. Like 
get on with it. Like I actually get anxiety if I feel like I'm holding some people up behind me. Yeah, that's it's it's that's a it's a horrible feeling. Yeah, I like. But then some people like. I don't know if they're just dead on the inside or what their what their mode of thinking is. Those crazy people that will just hold the whole field up and not even look around at you. I presume they, they're dead on the inside. I don't know yes. what's going on. No, you're you're right. They have no conscience and no soul whatsoever. Those people, because those and I've met them before, and I hate them. Right? Those are the people that feel like I paid $120 to play this course. I'll play it as slow as I damn well please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ruin everyone else's experience. To Not make marginally better. Right. As that. Not realizing that, yes, everybody in front of you and everyone behind you paid the same amount of money to play. Yeah, and it's not even the good golfers that hold you up. It's actually no, the never. ones that are not good, but are under the false pretense that they're good. Yeah, and those and those people suck, and they're the first one to comment on other yeah. people. I, I believe me. Well, it's you know what I hate to say it, but it's nice to hear that we can commiserate over those same problems a half a world away. Same thing, you know. We're we're from the future, but we still have the same problems here. And and, and look for our listeners out there. Willie is literally eighteen hours ahead of East Coast time right now. So if you're our fans out on the West Coast in Cali or Arizona, he is 21 hours ahead of you, almost an entire day. Did you – are American sports big over there? Do you guys do you guys watch the Super Bowl? Yeah, well, we actually um, – it coincided great this year because we had a um, public holiday uh, here yesterday on the Monday, uh, Waitangi Day. Um and so everyone got to stay at home. So we, it's a shame that the Chiefs couldn't bloody front up and make it a game because it meant that everyone actually got to stay home and watch it for once rather than having to skive off work for the afternoon to watch it on a on a random mon- Monday at the start of February. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty big now. Like uh, the American football and, and the NBA is pretty big across across the whole country. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's got a pretty good following and it's ever-increasing. You you got to tell me what, what is it? Watingi Day? Yeah, it was when uh, yeah Waitangi Day. I just, I can't remember when exactly the treaty was signed. Um, where is it? In eighteen forty, by it was uh, it was like the British um, the British and the Maori chiefs um, signed a kind of document it's kind of most important document in the history of new zealand really okay. um, so it's kind of yeah there's 6th of february is kind of it every year so we get the monday off because it was on a saturday so um yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much that we uh yeah we have a bunch of different holidays here obviously um but that one coincided well with the super bowl so yeah now there's a big Netflix show called The Crown. Um, obviously, it follows Queen Elizabeth through kind of her journey all the way through, and four seasons long. People in the states love it because they literally are obsessed with anything that has to do with the royal family. Um, what what are, what are your feelings with with that? There is that does the does the the Queen of England hold 
like this this power no. since you guys are kind of I know there's no real power you know it's just uh, yeah, I don't know it's kind of I don't know maybe maybe 40 years ago I mean right I don't know like yes we're part of part of that and part of the Commonwealth but um, speaking of which I procrastinated on that Netflix series I need to go back to it I got sidetracked with my partner we've been um smashing out we've, we've turned into real low-level operators smashing out our uh, blow deck like on marathon lately <laughs> this, this is what like lockdowns and stuff like we even had a lockdown for a while but it started us down some bad rabbit holes um, when we did have that lockdown so i need to go back to something more productive like the crown there's uh there's a lot of people that can empathize with that. Uh, there's still places here that are in lockdown. You you guys, if I'm not correct, I think for like the last two months you've been COVID free there. Yeah, yeah, we have the odd case that because we you have to quarantine when you come into the country now, but we effectively haven't really had any in the community. Uh, we had a couple in Auckland um, late last year, but since we did that initial lockdown. Um, we kind of like ramped back into things like that. We obviously have things on our, our side, right? We're an island at the bottom of the world. So it's if you kind of try and keep it out, you should be able to keep it out. So right. um, yeah, we've been going about stuff pretty much like normal. There's like New Year's Eve festivals with like, you know, 50,000 people kind of going wild doing normal stuff. So we're pretty lucky in that regard that we we – you know, there was some minor restrictions, but we're pretty much living our life um, as normal after that initial lockdown because it kind of got us back to being COVID-free, really. But that's a, you know, we're going to come to a reckoning point at some point. Like, we're too small to keep our borders shut forever. Like, you know, but for now, you know, at least we're living life and we're playing golf and you can shake hands after you're around the golf and not have to bump elbows or anything weird like that and, and not worry about it. Yeah, you are the the envy of literally ninety nine percent of the rest of the world. Um, did did your courses shut down like they did here in the states at the beginning? You know, of kind of quarantine and lockdown, or were they always open to you? No, no, they were like we had a. I don't even know how long it was. Um, maybe about six weeks or something like that. We were we were fully kind of shut down. Everything like you pretty much go home, stay home type stuff. Um, unless you're an essential worker. Um, it was quite lucky because during that time, I actually had a broken hand from rugby. Um, so I was kind of just stuck at home watching some telly and, you know, watching the news like everyone else. But then I've, I've got a four-car garage at my place that's um, never had a never had a car in it. It's full of um, gym stuff. And, I've you know, I was one of those people that went out and got a golf simulator so I can play golf. Um in my in my garage now um in my spare time so um you know it's, you've created new ways to waste time with this uh covid stuff but since then we've been like yeah we've been lucky we've been business has been back open it was a little bit slow for all the people in restaurants and cafes but you know even now operating as normal having a golf simulator is a pretty damn good way to waste some time oh my god yeah oh my god yeah it's great that's great. Um, game changer. Skytrack, those things are unreal. Um, I was probably pretty lucky to get one before. It, I was. I like thought about this right as kind of COVID was just taken off. I was like, man, this, these things are going to go crazy. So I need to get in on it early. So pretty lucky. Yeah, the prices of like those 
bicycles, uh, you know, dumbbells, yeah. barbells just went through the roof here. I'm yeah. sure the same thing there too. Yeah, I was lucky that, you know, I decked my gym out over the last 10 years, so it's kind of like all good. But, the, yeah, I, I was just half a step ahead of everyone on that um, simulator stuff, so I was bloody lucky. You know? and the only problem is it came and I set it up and I still had my broken hand at that point, so I couldn't use, use it for the first couple of weeks of having it, but since then it's been frigging awesome. Um, but, you know, like we're in summer now, so it doesn't really get that much action while it's summer, like, pretty much not rained here for uh, two months so you kind of out any free day or free hours you get you get out on the course and have a bash around like we went out for a quick round before the Super Bowl yesterday and and yeah all good I want to ask you about some of the courses there I think the first one we got to talk about and I don't know if you have access to this I know it's it's highly private and not many play not not much play but Tara Eady which is sitting just north of Auckland. So I'm going to assume that's what an hour and a half, two hours from you. Oh, no, well, I'm in, I'm in Navy. So Auckland, when I lived in Auckland, that'd be a couple of hours from me there. Um, oh. so that, yeah. Um, that's like all time bucket list course to get on, man. It's I've played most of the other cool ones in New Zealand, but that one is, doesn't it look awesome? It looks freaking it's- awesome. It's uh, that's a place where like I wish there there's a few courses here in the states that will issue like you and your foursome like an all day pass. So if yeah. you and I and a few buddies were going to go out, we get like seven or eight guys and the course is ours for the day. And, you know, you can play different whole. Yeah, I can play from the first tee box to the 17th green and stuff. And that's a yeah. course that if I had like 24 hours on, I feel like I could come up with 54 different holes. I would I would play till my feet fell off on that course. Like, oh my god! Any video, like I cannot get enough of any photo, any videos on it. I will like consume them instantly, and just think about one day when I can finally get on there. Yeah, I mean that that land north of Auckland must just be just unbelievable along the coastline there. I mean, it literally yeah. just rolls and flows like Scottish Linkland would. You know, yeah, over in and, Europe, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty different to the rest of these New Zealand courses, really. Like, a, you know, I mean, the other ones on the coast, there's actually very few kind of linksy style ones up and down a lot of the coast. Yes, there's some around around Wellington and, and bits and pieces, but um, that style is definitely in the minority in, in New Zealand. And I think from from what I'd heard that they're actually looking at building another course next to it. That's a little bit more public. Yes. Um, they, yeah. Down the coastline they are. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, with the land that's there and with the guys that made that, I'm sure that's going to be like phenomenal anyway. Um, how difficult it is, is it for you guys in the North Island to get over to the South? Is that a ferry service that runs between the two islands? Yeah. I went, I went down there at Christmas time. Um, you know, it was like packed out because obviously no one can fly anywhere. So like I had to take like a 2 a.m. ferry and it was like packed, um, you know, drive your car on. Um, it's, uh, I think it's about three and a half hour ferry or you can obviously just fly. Um, but it's, it's the South Island is so cool to drive around. So um, I've done a couple of two week road trips, one of those like rooftop tent ones and, and take my partner and my golf club. She's um, walked a lot of, 
walked a lot of the cool golf courses of the South Island with me. So um pretty lucky that she's pretty tolerant of that. And I think she just likes walking. She doesn't really care for the golf either way. So <laughs> uh, she just enjoys being out walking on some nice green grass and, and with some nice views, which just happen to be pretty much all New Zealand courses. Now, what's what? What are the big? Is there any big difference between the North and the South Island in terms of golf? Um, probably just depends exactly where you are. Um, but overall, probably not. Um, I wouldn't say so. There's, they're probably just less populated in the South Island. That's probably the only difference, to be honest. Like the Auckland courses are the will be your busy courses in New Zealand and the rest of them is you can get a tea time pretty easily really. Um, but it just a region by region, course by course, they kind of have their own thing going on. Um, there's not really a set style for a region or for, for the Island. Um, and yeah. So one of the, one of the other things I'm, I'm seeing here and doing a little bit of research is that there's over 700 other, you know, kind of mini islands that are all under, New Zealand control are those inhabited islands? Or are they just uh, you know tiny little stop offs? Like if you were in a boat, what do what do those kind of uh, look like? There's a couple just off Auckland that are like like inhabited Waiheke Islands. Like a lot of people live there, um, a lot of ferry rides to and from. Um, but then a lot of the oh, Stewart Island below the South Island actually that's not super inhabited. But um, all the other ones are just kind of random little ones really um but yeah it's there's only those couple that are kind of populated the rest are just wilderness little 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 bits so no no golf to be explored on those other islands no no none of the oh they just wouldn't be big enough wouldn't be big enough yeah okay i mean new zealand itself's not that big <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But we still manage to slam a lot of golf courses in. Yeah, and I'm I'm reading too that you've got five hundred thousand people or five hundred thousand men that they estimate play golf in New Zealand, which makes it the number one sport, number one participatory sport uh, yeah. in the whole country. Now, you guys are not super far from Australia. I I kind of assume it's kind of like us jumping across the pond you know, from the East coast, from like New York to, to London. Um, do you get over to, to Australia much? Is that something that's kind of like normal for New Zealanders? Yeah. Well, that's kind of been the one change that, um, COVID's done is cause a lot of New Zealanders live in, live in Australia or a lot of Australians live here and, and commute vice versa for family reasons and bits and pieces. So I've got two brothers that live in Melbourne at the moment that have been stuck over there. Um, in Australia, I lived there for a little bit um, for an eighteen-month stint, and and yeah, the, I mean that's I probably the the bad thing was like I got fully fully addicted to golf probably after I'd kind of been over there a bit. So like now, kind of knowing what I know about all these different areas of golf in Australia, I'm like, man, why wasn't I that into it while I was over there? But that'll <laughs> definitely be on the bucket list. And it's like it's so it's like cheaper to fly to Australia a bunch of times than it is to fly domestically within New Zealand, which is crazy. And I don't know how COVID's going to change that, but like sometimes you, you could fly from New Zealand to Australia for like hundred, 150 bucks, you know, and then 
you try and fly from one part of New Zealand to another for 200, 300 bucks sometimes. It was crazy. What's, what's the, well, first off, have you ever played in the States at all, golf or no? No, I've, I've been there once with my brother and we went on, um, when was that? Like 20, I think it was 20, was it 2013? Um, went and watched some baseball playoffs in Boston. That was that year that they won. Okay, um, fantastic. Spent, yeah, spent a bit of time in New York and, uh, but no, I haven't played golf there. And again, that was probably like, I was playing golf at that point, but probably wasn't into it and addicted to the degree, like where it's all consuming like it is now. Right, right. So what's, what's, give us our, your kind of your top three courses that you've been lucky enough to play. Um, here, it, Cape Kidnapper is definitely number is up there. Um, Jack's Point, which is in the South Island, if you Google image that, um, it's pretty wild. It's at the bottom of this um, Remarkables. Uh, it's called the Remarkables, this mountain range next to a lake too. It's wild stuff. Um, and then the other one is Kinlock, which is a little bit less scenic, but just a unbelievable. I think that's a Jack Nicholas course from memory. Um just unbelievable challenge of golf. So those are probably my three favorite ones that I've played around. Um, yeah. In terms of, you know, how far things are from you, uh, how far is Parapamu Beach? Uh-huh. Uh, that's, that's where they host the New Zealand yeah. Open. And open yeah so that's that's one of the other linksy style courses in new zealand that's uh probably about four hours from me oh, okay uh, okay so a little bit of a hike yeah, yeah well you you can fly there in 45 minutes um same same thing from from auckland to wellington there is like less than an hour flight i think um well, it's a pretty big drive though our roads are pretty windy we don't have those just like straight open roads like you guys like we actually have to turn corners <laughs> yeah accelerate decelerate that sort of stuff you know driving all right so I'm, i want to go into i want to finish up with a few kind of new zealand specific questions for you uh if you're cool with that i'm gonna hope i can answer them <laughs> yeah all right so here in the u.s hawaii uh is one of our you know furthest states away and when you go to hawaii things are insane like milk is eight dollars a gallon nine dollars a gallon stuff like that um, do you have any stories like that? Do you have any, anything that's imported to New Zealand that is just completely overpriced because it's not, you know, created naturally there? Well, this is a, this is a weird thing at the moment. Like, so our dairy industry is pretty big, like, you know, milk, cheese, all that sort of stuff. If I go to Australia, the, the milk is like half the price that it is here. So I can't work that out. So that's, I, I don't know. I feel like we're getting ripped off for our own stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's about all I've got on that. But every, everything else, I don't know. Like cost of living, it's, it's getting higher, but it's still, you know, you can have an average job and live a pretty awesome life here, really. Pretty lucky. Are there Are there a lot of people from the U.S., from Europe, not from Australia and New Zealand, that live in New Zealand? Yeah, I think it's becoming more and more prevalent. Like, 
especially with kind of what's been going on in your country over the last four or five years, I think places like New Zealand have kind of gone like, like, yes, we have our problems and, you know, some of these problems are getting bigger all the time, but in the scheme of maybe what's going on there and, and elsewhere, like it's pretty minor stuff. So I think people have looked at our lifestyle and, and what you can do here and just gone, yeah, like <laughs> life's too short to be stressed out. Come and de-stress yourself and live in New Zealand, play golf. Yeah. Look, that's, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I told my wife, um, you know, I said, Hey, you know, I got this guy coming on the podcast. Willie is Olympic swimmer, lives in New Zealand. She's like, we should probably just move there when we retire. And I was like, that's, you know, hell, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> it sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, he's, like I said, we have our problems and stuff, but it's just so relaxed. Um, you know, people relaxed, lifestyles relaxed, you know, Yes, there's some, you know, hard workers and bits and pieces, but it's, I think we just operate at like maybe 20% less stress level than all of America. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's beneficial for anybody. Let's be honest. And, yeah. and it's extremely beneficial to your golf game. Yeah. Well, that's the, yeah. Well, actually, you, you know, your highest levels of stress are probably on the golf course at some point, but <laughs> uh, self-inflicted, like, yeah, that, that like cutting out that bit of stress is kind of what makes your life that that bit more enjoyable so like yes you can go places that might have more to do or see or whatever it is but at the end of the day like if you're around good people and living a pretty low stress life like pretty hard to beat that do you guys get offended at all when non-new zealanders refer to you as kiwis ah nah not at all not at all no, it's it'd be more offensive if you mix this up with Australians. That would be fun, <laughs> I think. <laughs> like, do not do not paint us with that brush. Um, how how close are you to Hobbiton in the Lord of the Rings, and have you been there before? <laughs> uh, no, um, oh, again, probably about three or four hours going the other way instead of towards uh wellington um no i haven't my brother's always hassled me about going there but i've just never been able to bring myself to go there i don't i don't know what percentage of new zealanders actually go there or whether it's just <laughs> foreigners i don't know i'm well that's the thing i'm like i don't know if i'm too ashamed or embarrassed or <laughs> i don't know what it is <laughs> was was that i mean you know over the last oh gosh i guess 20 years now um you know there's been some enormous movies that that have been filmed there um lord of the rings uh, the hobbit trilogies avatar uh yeah. king kong the last samurai when did new zealand become this like media capital Oh, I, I guess Peter Jackson probably had something to do with that. Um, yeah. Helps when the doing the movies kind of comes from here. So he's like, "Hey, I know a place. We can do some stuff." Um, and then shipped everyone, shipped everyone down here, I guess. Um, and those guys at Weta Digital do all that Avatar stuff, which I don't know. Maybe they've not been punching the clock because it's been a while since that last Avatar came out. But um, I guess that next one's coming out pretty shortly. But yeah, it's, it's it's weird the thing that things that your country kind of tag itself onto, and then you know we 
we do get kind of quite proud about what the rest of the world kind of sees of us or, or oh, they're talking about us, they're talking about us, whether it's on a late <laughs> night show or whatever it is, you know, whenever, even if it's John Oliver ripping the piss from us on um, last week tonight, like, you know, he was, yeah, he was ripping our prime minister for his stupid thing that he said, you know, um, he used to have some good goes at John Kiefer. He did some weird stuff pulling a ponytail, our last prime minister. So John Oliver really let loose on him. But, you know, <laughs> by the by. Well, yeah, we all have those leaders that we're embarrassed by. Yeah, I mean, if our, the worst thing, our, well, from our past two prime ministers, does is um, tugs on someone's ponytail. Like, again, we're probably doing all right. Um, let me ask you this question. One of the, the, literally one of the first times I was ever introduced to, uh, Maori culture and New Zealand was through the film once were warriors. So that oh, yeah. was that, I, gosh, that's gotta be almost. Well, that's pretty 20, harrowing movie, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's gotta be like 25 years ago now. So yeah. I was, yeah. So I was, yeah, that makes sense. I was probably like a junior or senior in high school getting ready, you know, to go, to college. Um, so it's, it's very, very relevant to people in the U S because our native Americans, our indigenous people who were, you know, the first people here in the U S kind of relate very much to the Maori culture. Um, they've been marginalized and live on reservations. Now alcoholism is an enormous problem. Did that movie portray, modern day Maori culture. Um, I don't want to say, I don't, not, I, it wasn't positively, but did it portray it in kind of a realistic light? Yeah, it certainly put across some of the struggles that was going on in, in certain parts of society and definitely didn't sugarcoat it, did it? And you'll know from seeing that movie, like, man, there's some pretty rough stuff addressed in that movie. Yeah, it's tough um, to watch at points. Yeah, and that's probably some of the, that's probably, to be honest, the main issues that we're we're still dealing with as a country now is is how to kind of like, yes, the middle class is doing well and and the upper class is always going to do well, but how do we how do we best serve those marginalised in society and and it's been that constant kind of juggling act with the welfare state since kind of the seventies and eighties and and it just so happens that. You know, the, the Maori people probably have been the ones that have got the raw end of the, the deal. So, um, yeah, it's it's a problem and, and problems with, you know, not just Maoris and, and, and the repercussions that, uh, you know, have stemmed from different regimes and bits and pieces, but how we, how we turn the ship around and, and you know, get, get those guys back onto level footing um and, and and treated equally it's it's this constant struggle and development isn't it and i think you know we do a good job of it at times and then we do a very poor job of it at times um so and and our, our numbers are so small but our, our it is a big problem for us um in terms of, of kind of equality of of society and and giving a, a high quality of living towards um everyone really um has probably been had a had a not just a light shone on it but bloody spotlight shone on it with this covid stuff and how many people are out of housing and not dealing with all that stuff so yes yeah, it's, it's tough man 
stuff. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in charge of coming up with solutions or answers to these bigger problems. Cause yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know if there, you know, if there is one solution or one answer. You know, what I mean, it's it's a, a history yeah, of, think... of probably bad choices that led to it. So it's going to take a long time to, you know, get those people. It's, um, it's this. It's the same with the movement that occurred um, around George Floyd in terms of just education and awareness. And I think you know this, the the history of New Zealand being taught in, in schools and and Developing everyone's understanding of, of what's happened and how it's happened and, and does all help in terms of a little bit more nuanced conversations happening in society rather than um, maybe what it was 10 years ago where it probably wasn't as nuanced. Yeah, I know that makes perfect sense. Well, I don't want to end on a, you know, on a kind of a down note like that. So <laughs> let me let me ask you this question to, to get you out of here, Willie. If if you had somebody coming in, uh, you know, let's say from the U.S., someone comes in from the U.S. and you've got to show them around for for two or three days, what would what would an itinerary look like? Or are they just a general member of the American public? Because if they're a golfing person, oh, uh, definitely, definitely a golfing person. Let's let's right. yeah, we'll keep uh, it related to. I, th I think if you would go to Queenstown um, in the South Island, that is like you can get a, a, just a, a view of New Zealand that will leave you kind of gasping for air kind of in every way, whether it's the golf, whether it's the, the hiking and the scenery, whether it's the adventure stuff that you do, the the food and everything like that's if if you go for a holiday and you want a little glimpse, like fly in there, play a couple of those golf courses around there, Jack's Point and and I don't know the hills if you can get on or wherever and and do everything that's that's on offer there because that's again it's like you know it's a place in New Zealand that probably takes my breath away the most as a region like it's it's wild and. I guess I gotta ask too. What what type of food is is there a a food culture amongst New Zealand? I'm I'm assuming it's it's very you know fish heavy, you know from the sea heavy. Yeah, probably depends on where you are. Like um, if you're in those coastal towns, definitely a lot more sea heavy. And um, I don't know if we really have that much of our own um, style of food, but you know we tend to incorporate a lot of um, different cuisines and, and try and do them well. And then, you know, it's a pretty big coffee scene and craft beers. And obviously wine is huge in New Zealand. So there's a lot of wineries, especially like around where I am in Hawke's Bay, like a lot of the the wineries or the wine that you guys get from, from New Zealand will be from possibly around here. Um, so that's a big part of it as well. So, you know, for, for a little country, we do bet above our, um, size and, and a few areas like wine and, and bits and pieces. Awesome. Well, Willie, look, I, I honestly can't thank you enough, man. It's been an absolute blast learning about you, learning about New Zealand, uh, and, and learning what, you know, the, the future looks like. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Like, um, <laughs> we are in the future, even if it is only half a day or three quarters of a day. Um, hope it's interesting. And, and, you know, I just, 
love consuming golf stuff and, and whether it's golf adjacent or, or whatnot, the guys like, like you and no laying up and all those guys that put the stuff out, like you're just doing such a great thing for, for golf and, and for the people that love the game. So keep it up and thanks for having me on. And I, I hope it was interesting enough for you, for your listeners out there, but yeah, thanks again. Without a doubt. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying.